This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookings. Welcome to Bookends with Ruth Todd and Moran Rat. And today, Ruth, we're going to be highlighting two writers that are going to be at the upcoming Word Festival. Uh, mine is a writer who has just got her first book out, and it's been a huge success. Jacqueline Bublitz, a kind of a crime novel. But you are talking to one of our absolute taongas. Well, I am. Patricia Grace has always meant a lot to me. From way back when I read uh, Potiki, I think was the first book I found of hers. But she's, um, yes, she's a gem. The sea hems and stitches the edges of the land where houses stand, windowing the neatened curve offshore, the place without seed, the scavenged place, too salt for growth where seaweed dries and piles. Bleached land, plants crack and turn to bone. There's freedom on the shore to search the weed, the wood drifts, the empty shell. Hope and desire may rest there, linger. Thoughts may shift with sand grains sifted by waves and wind, stirring and shaping another beginning. Patricia Grace, reading from her memoir, which has just been published um, from the Centre, A Writer's Life. Welcome to the programme, Patricia. Thank you. That's a beautiful poem. And as I read your memoir, I got the sort of underlying, your love of the sea and the land and where you are on the Kapiti Coast and um, at uh, Hoapepa Bay. And you've always wanted to be there, haven't you? Yes, it's a real home place for me. Um, not that I disliked other places where I've lived, you know, but um, this was somewhere where I thought that I would have a house one day. And you do, and you yes. have for quite a long time. And I think um, when you went, you met Dick, your husband, when you were at college, and there's so many lovely stories about your growing up in Wellington, and then you went up north to teach both of you together when you married and um, had your children, and that was an exciting time And, and as I read through that, but always there was um, coming back. To Homeweka Bay. Yes, yeah. yes. So what I wanted to talk about was um, you, you, another little quote near the beginning, we live by the sea, which hems and stitches the scalloped edge of the land. It's so important to you and um, your special place, your safe place. And um, I could not believe that I had, knew nothing about how you and Dick worked with your whanau to establish a whanui and marae complex. What an amazing work that must have been. Yes, it was an exciting time, really. It was the whole you know, whole Hongoika community involved in it, you know. Oh, more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the history and the knowledge and tradition that you worked, the years of research and fundraising, six years, yes. was it? Six years before it opened? Oh, it was much longer than that. Yes. We had been fundraising for, for years, really, probably generations. 
this shows to me your commitment to your people, um, to your land, and at the same time, you were still writing. <laughs> I don't know whether you, how you ever got time to write. Oh, yes. Well, I always made time to write. Once I decided that writing was something that I was going to do, I just made time for it in, in different ways at different stages of my life, really. Yes. And I was, um, it's not so very long ago when your ancestral land and um, you had to go to court to stop the whoever it was who were going to take your land for the access, the, the building of the road. Uh, yes, that was land, uh, um, ancestral land, not in Hongawika Bay, but in Waikanae. Mm. Yes, that, um, yes, that I was determined to hold on to if I could. I didn't know that we would win, but we did. <laughs> well, you certainly did. <laughs> and you go back to the 1975 land march, don't you? Oh, yes, yes. Did you take yes. part in that? Yes, I took part in mm, that. Mm. Yeah. Yes, from um, Porirua to Wellington. You're so rich in memories, um, you know, now that you're older, and you put those into the memoir, and they're just little gems all the way through the book. What is it about where you live now and how lucky you are to be living where you want to be living um, as, you, as an older person? What is so special? Oh, well, a lot of my growing up and my enjoyment of life and my memories are, are based in this environment, you know, which was, um, you know, we had a wide-ranging freedom, really, when we were children, um, on the beach, in the water, in the bush, you know, and up, the, and up in the creeks. And we just... Um, or it didn't matter, you know, there was no division between whether you're a girl or a boy, which there was when in my where, where I lived in town. Boys and girls didn't play together, you know. Mm. But um, here we were all as one, really, like brothers and sisters. And reading the memoir, I love the way you've threaded your stories, little extracts of your books, all the way through, and I've been reminded about some I haven't looked at for quite a while, and uh, which I, I'm not going to ask you which are your favourites because they must all be, but I can see where you have um, your characters were so important, aren't they, in all your stories? Oh, yes, that's the characters is what makes them. And, yeah, yeah, what makes what drives me really because when you think of it, everything else belongs to the characters, you mm. know, the settings. And uh, of course, you've, you had, know, the, you've had so yeah. much experience of whānau and extended family, uh, you know, haven't you? I mean, you must have little bits of everybody in your stories. Yeah, uh, yes, I think so. <laughs> mm. So, I was intrigued to go back and look at the ones that I haven't read for quite a while. Baby No Eyes was a very important book when you won that international prize uh, in 1998 and uh, the Native, Native American poet put it into the competition, Joy Hajo. Yes. And that was a haunting story. Um, I had no idea that sort of thing was happening and people who haven't read Baby No Eyes should go back to that one because it didn't um, didn't seem to be there for 
too long. Um, no, no, it sort of went under the radar a mm, little here mm. in this country, but when I went over to other countries, it was even if that wasn't the reason, if that book wasn't the reason for my going, people wanted to talk about that book. So it seemed to have more attention than other countries than it did here. I don't know the reason for that. Well, it was probably tried to be hidden, I suppose. People wouldn't want too much of um, that. what was happening. Um, no. Do you want to talk about that, how you've discovered that, what was happening? Oh, what was happening, yes. In, in the hospital? Um, the pathology departments of, mm. of, of um some of our hospitals, all of them, I suppose, because I've had letters from people who said that what happened to the baby that I described in the book had happened to their child, you know, um, and wondering if I was writing about them, which I wasn't, but um, I was told that story and I have presented it much as as it was told to me. Um, not exactly, though, because I wasn't writing about a particular baby, you know. So um, I think that's an important one yes, in our yes. health issues. And uh, and that's what I find reading this memoir. You have um, taken issues like that and you have always worked so hard on making change, on looking for making change. And um, when we have not... Um, I grew up in a very monocultural community in Invercargill and I didn't have any Māori friends at school. Um, But you remind me of how hard you worked and other Māori have worked through the years to make changes. Uh, Do you feel changes are happening now? Um, Yes, definitely there are some changes. But, you know, uh, I don't... People find it a little bit odd when I say that wasn't... I wasn't out to change the world, only to tell stories from my own background and my own experience. Of course, um, I did want notice taken of those issues, but the story was the most important thing. With, with, yes, you know, I agree, I agree. That, that but background, um, yes, um, yeah. sort of unconsciously, you have helped make changes um, by what you ha- by your stories and. Um, your wonderful stories and your wonderful characters. And the other book that I have read several times is two, um, oh, yes. the story of your father's notebooks. Uh, and the I learned a lot about the Second World War in that book. Um, that so was, did I, actually, <laughs> yes. when I was doing the research. Mm. Yes. And then Cousins. I remember when we talked about Cousins when it first came out, and there was some there was talk of a film coming then, and it never ever did. But now seems the right time for cousins. Yes, I agree with that. I'm I'm glad it has waited till now. I don't think it was ready before. Um, I mean, the script mightn't have been ready, but people mightn't have also been ready to. I think you're right. Yes. And how wonderful to um, have your daughter. Um, doing the script and being... Yeah, my, in, my daughter-in-law. Yeah. Daughter-in-law, yes. yes. Oh, how wonderful that must have been. And you had a say in what was happening, did you? Um, a little I bit? I left it to them. Yes. I trusted them, you know. Um, they did. A, I think they did a fantastic job of getting the essence of the story, the essence of the characters, 
and they sort of brought it into more modern times, really, in the end. Yeah. That's right. I loved it, and I'm making sure I've got several granddaughters been staying with me lately, and I said, you know, have you seen Cousins? And one of them hadn't, so we watched it again, and um, oh, okay. I think that that will become a very important New Zealand movie. It well, does. it is now. Yeah, it yeah, is already. It does. Yeah. Mm. So what a life you're having and had, <laughs> Patricia. It must be very satisfying to have um, done all the things you've wanted to do. Well, yes, I always want. I always want to do more. I always think my next piece of piece of work is going to be better than the previous piece. That's what keeps me going, really. Or I'm, mm. I'm not even saying better, but um, um, a reaching out. That's right. Yes. And I always imagine you sitting at that kitchen table with your family, your children, um, your immediate family, and then your grandchildren, and you're grabbing time to write. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and they're there as well, but you've always got the writing done. I just thought I'd finish by reading a little piece at, uh, about that. When I left teaching, I imagined myself spending every possible minute scribbling or sitting for hours in front of the computer, and for some months this is what I did. But I soon came to realise that for me, the writing life needs real life and interaction going on. So though I did spend time writing every day, often long hours on weekdays, I found myself caught up in the many activities associated with family and community life as well. And that is what you have done all your life. And I, I thank you so much for writing the memoir. It's very special. Patricia Grace has published her memoir from the Centre, A Writer's Life, and it's published by Penguin Random House. Thanks very much, Patricia. I look forward thank to you. seeing you at the end of August. Yes, I, I look forward to that too. Patricia Grace will be at Christchurch for the Word Christchurch Festival from the 25th to the 29th of August and she will be joined by Paula Morris for a candid conversation about her extraordinary life, the people and places that have shaped her and the ways that her stories, lives and land intersect. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM 96.9. Before You Knew My Name is the intriguing title of the first novel by New Zealand author Jacqueline Bublitz. It's had the most extraordinary uh, international success. Uh, bidding wars, wonderful reviews, um, and just the sort of acclaim you'd you'd die for. Jacqueline, you are a New Zealander, but the Australians are trying to claim you as well. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely introduction. It does um, it does feel a bit surreal um, sometimes um, to die for indeed. Um, I am a Kiwi born and bred uh, in uh, Waitara in, in Taranaki, but I did, to be fair to the Australians, I did leave at 18 and moved to Melbourne, where I lived for over 20 years, so I'm ageing, dating myself here. But I was in Melbourne until um, the start of 2019. So I consider myself a Melbourneian because it's one of the most magnificent cities, um, but certainly I am a Kiwi through and through. Your writing career then was all in Australia and you have written a great deal as a journalist, haven't you? Um, 
Well, so, I mean, my writing career as a novelist really only um, happened recently, so while I was in New Zealand. So I think that um, New Zealand, we can, you know, New Zealand can lay claim yes, to, yes. to that. <laughs> and then I did, I did work um, my day job, so to speak, um, if there's such a thing anymore, uh, was certainly not in writing. But I was a theatre reviewer for an online publication based out of New York. So in Australia, I was travel around reviewing um, musical theatre, because I, not for the money, but for the love of it, um, and for the front row um, seats. So I did that for a couple of years. Um, but actually, my professional life um, was in tech and media, so nothing to do with writing um, until um, until all of this happened, and, yeah, once I was back in New Zealand um, a couple of years ago. The book is set in New York, so you had to have gone to New York to get the feel of it, which you certainly seem to have. Oh, I'm so glad that people um, are, are finding it authentic and you know responding to that. And certainly now, when none of us or most of us can't you know can't go to New York uh, the the way we could um, just uh, you know just a year ago, um, I mo- I went to New York for five months um, in the spring and summer of 2015. I had um, finished up um, a job in Melbourne where I had long service leave, which is a lovely um, policy that they have in, in, in Australia, where they sort of pay you to, pay you to leave, or if, you, if you've been there for more than ten years, but a little bit of um, money in my pocket, which didn't last long. Um, but went to New York with this idea um, that eventually um, became "Before You Knew My Name," and uh, really, it was just an excuse to live in New York because I wanted to do that since I was a little girl. Um, but also I had a I had a hunch that it would be the perfect place to set this novel, um, which it did turn out to be. So you start by telling us about Alice and the fact that she is dead and she's speaking to us um, from, <laughs> from whatever Beyond. realm you're in <laughs> when you're dead. Uh, yeah. So it's a very it's a very arresting um, opening paragraph or several paragraphs. We we're immediately on the alert for why she's ended up mm. in this parlous state. So tell me about how you crafted that. Yeah, I, you know, yeah, it is a major spoiler alert, isn't it? On the first page, you do and, and you find out that um, you know Alice is um, not with us, and she um, has been murdered, and she's pretty open about that up front. I'd always known that I wanted to write a story about the connection between a so-called dead girl and uh, the person who finds her body, um, the woman who finds her body. That was as much as I had sort of in my pocket when I went to New York, this idea for, you know, what would that connection be like? And Alice as a character came uh, came into my head in the past while she was very much alive and she was just such an sort of engaging character to write. So um, she, I was curious about her um, as I was creating her. I'm not a plotter or a planner, so I hadn't, again, I just had this idea, what would this connection be like between these two people? Um, what kind of story can I make from that? And once Alice came along, um, I decided to um, bring her into the present um, and see if I could, 
you know, pull off one of those kind of lovely Bones-esque stories uh, where um, the narrator is talking to us from, from a different space and time. It just felt like an interesting, as a, as a writer, it was interesting to me. And I didn't have anybody waiting for this book. It wasn't an agent or a publisher or you know, anyone beating down the door for, for the copy. So I was able to just play with this idea. And, and as soon as um, she sort of... I let her tell her story I realized yeah this is it this is the story that I want to tell as well yes she's more than present she haunts you as you read it and and Ruby the Australian girl who did pretty much what you were doing except she was running away from something the (laughs) girl who discovers her um she becomes a, a very strong and and urgent presence in the book as well yeah, Ruby. So yeah, it's funny. So I, you know, there's a inevitable comparisons because you know I went to New York. But I always say, you know, I went to New York to create these characters. Not, you know, I didn't, I didn't go at all for the for the reasons that they come to New York with their, you know, heartache. And these two women come and arrive on the same day, Alice and Ruby, um, you know, and meet under such extraordinary circumstances. I was able to, you know being there in New York and in creating these characters sort of on the go, I did take them around with me, if that makes sense, to, to lots of um, different places. And Ruby's character um, certainly grew out of some of my um, experiences in New York, um, you know, both, you know, amazing and also kind of sort of lonely and isolating experiences that I had there as well. Cause I didn't know anybody when I when I landed in New York and, and Ruby is much the same. So there's a little bit of, um, you know, overlap. <laughs> yeah, overlap is a good. It's, overlap is a good way to put it. I was not quite as um was not quite you know, uh, desolate and heartbroken as she was when I landed in New York. I was rather ex- excited about this idea that I had in this opportunity, um, which you don't get you know very often in life, which was to, you know, take a break from so-called real life and and see if I could um turn this idea into a story. People are saying there's so many different genres you've played with, um, and that's true. Um, you know, crime genre, rom-com, um, <laughs> all sorts of things, but it's a very serious book because throughout it there's there's a great deal of anger, which is just there. The, the fury that we should all feel about how dead girls are exploited, their stories exploited. Yeah, and, and how they came to be, um, you know, in the news in the first place, just the the ways and, you know, the phrase that I find myself using often is, you know, the way that we have to navigate our safety, which isn't to say that, that men don't have their own, you know, you know, ways that they do as well. But this is a very specific story about uh, women and, and how safe they are or are not in, in the world as they're just trying to make their way. And, and it does, you know, purposefully... You know, fuse or, or play with a lot of different genres, but I can't. Even though I just use the word purposefully, it, I didn't set out, um, you know, deliberately to to bring in all of these different elements. I just wanted to write a book like the type of book that I like to read, and it's such a cliche, but it's like many cliches. It's also true in that 
you know, I think sort of I came of age as a reader um, in that sort of book club Oprah 1990s kind of um, all these, you know, books came out that had, you know, messages and, and stories and meaning behind them, but they were also entertaining. Um, so that's what I was trying to achieve. And um, I'm always really pleased uh, when people say that they um you know, we're, we're comfortable with the way it shifts between, you know, there is a love story as well as, you know, this sort of really brutal and political um, kind of element to it as well. So it makes me happy as a writer. Yeah, I think you've succeeded because, you know, without that serious um, message that you are getting across that everybody should feel appalled and affronted um, by... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, th- I, th- I think that comes through very clearly, but it doesn't overwhelm the book. But we should feel angry at at what happens to girls, at how they're <laughs> manipulated and how they're, how these dead girls just are lost when their story becomes no longer interesting. I think that, yeah, I mean, it is, there's lots of different types of manipulation in the book and there's there's lots of sort of questions that I wanted to play with around consent and, you know, how, you know, whether Alice in particular kind of, how much does, is she aware of what she's getting into in certain circumstances? But there's, you know, there's a, a, a one of my favourite lines in the book where she says, you know, do you know how aware we have to be? So Alice is a character who is fully, you know, cognizant of, um, she understands the world, she understands her place in it, that that it is precarious, but she's not willing to, um, you know, give up on on her freedoms and and her her rights as a human being. And then obviously um, there are some devastating consequences to, to, you know, one of her experiences, um, which, you know, the reader can pick and choose as as they're going along, which of her experiences is going to be the one that's going to put her in this mortal danger. I think, you know, one of the things, and I'm just looking, I have a list of... um, women, young women's names, you know, here in my study um, of, of women who have lost their lives in, in a similar way. And Grace Mullane is, is at the top of the list. And while I was um, editing this book, her case was, um, you know, leading the nightly news, um, you know, when it went to went to trial. And that, I think there's, there's moments where I kind of went back in the edits and infused just a little bit more anger <laughs> as well. Mm. You know, mm. again, as you were um, writing this, Story. I mean, I forgot many times that Alice was actually dead, um, and you do get caught up in the sort of the the New York aspect, and there is you know a little bit of romance as I mentioned, and then yeah, so it wouldn't and take humor. long. So. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. I hope so. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad. And maybe it's the Kiwi humour thing because it's mostly the Kiwis who um, say that it's, you know there's a bit of dark humour, and that that pleases me greatly. Um, but yeah, I mean the news would um, you know remind me every few months um, something would happen, and there would be another um, woman you know murdered in, in a similar way, and I'd. Um, kind of go back to it with a little bit of extra kind of righteous anger. Um, so I'm glad that that comes through as well. Well, thank you, Jacqueline, for your time. And this is an extraordinary book and it deserves all the um, success that it's um, getting and will get. So thank you. And thank you so much. The book is called Before You Knew My Name. It's by Jacqueline Bublitz and it's published by Alan and Unwin.
And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.